Hello, everyone. Welcome back to It's a Wonderful Movie. And this is your co-host, Jenna. And today I'm joined by, of course, our other co-host, Sara. And hello. And <laughs> Leila. Hi, guys. Executive producer. And, and most importantly, a very special guest. Our cousin, Jed. Welcome to the and show. travel has not yet been invented. But in the year 2020, a couple of cousins will sit and make a podcast about a time travel movie. Hi, oh I'm Jed. Oh yeah. my God, I love, you should have been introducing the episode. That was great. How long? Really? That was so good. <laughs> when did you have that written down? Uh, like right before this. Well, so I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Looper more later. That's what this episode is about. But mm-hmm. one thing, I, I like Ryan Johnson a lot. And he actually has a lot of his scripts online. So like, I just like looked at the script and copied the opening monologue of the film and was like, oh, how, what can I do so with this? so cute. What a dedicated guest member, lis- uh, listener, and we're just all around very excited to have you here. We're very so excited. Lucky. I think yeah. it's going to be a really good episode. We're doing, like Jad said, Looper, which was written and directed by Ryan Johnson from 2012. And we're going to mm-hmm. get into that in a little bit. But to start, I think maybe we should talk about movies in general because there's been some interesting movie news this week. Yeah. Mainly that Ben Affleck is back as Batman. Yeah. And I'm really? curious what everyone thinks. We I love Ben Affleck on this podcast. a huge drop of DC news today. I haven't seen all of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the Wonder on Woman uh, trailer came out. I was just on Instagram uh-huh. and I saw um, a post about it, but I haven't seen the trailer yet. So the Wonder Woman trailer dropped and apparently Kristen Wiig is like horrifying as a villain in it. So that's good she news. She plays a cheetah, which uh, do you know a little bit more about comics than we do? Uh, that... I know her character is the cheetah, but like I don't know um, much about DC comics generally. I'm more of a Marvel guy, which I know okay. you too can't go an episode about mentioning marvel okay i actually don't think i've ever asked for your take on the marvel movies what do you think about infinity wars and you know endgame um i mean i think they're both bad but i like endgame better than infinity war you do how i like endgame better too Uh, i think it's the same Infinity War is so dependent on you having watched like 10 years of films that you are really invested in these characters that it yeah. just depends on that. So there's literally no character or anything. There's like no plot in Infinity Like the plot just goes. And um, mm-hmm. I'm the kind of movie viewer who really likes a character-driven movie. And the mm-hmm. Infinity War was a very plot-driven movie for me where like characters did not have a second to like breathe. Like things had to keep going. And I yeah. found that really like off-putting personally just uh, am not invested in Thanos as a villain. I think he's very intimidating and he's a real threat to like the Avengers, but I did not find him like as interesting as a lot of people did. Mm. You don't think he was way more interesting in Infinity Wars than he was in Endgame or any of the characters? I feel like they butchered the characters in Endgame. I mean, maybe I'll be on your your next Avengers podcast and we can talk Mm. about it some more. And in Endgame I liked not, like I didn't really, I just don't care about Thanos. I don't care what happened to him, how he was. Mm used in that movie although i think he's used very like it's he's a more of a he's much more boring in endgame than he is in infinity war but like i like that infinity war because they killed off so many characters that all of a sudden now you had only like six characters so they actually could talk so you didn't have 20 other characters talking over them as we'll get into with looper i love a time travel story so (laughs) oh this is a great yeah oh yes i want to have the time travel conversation but just want to say, but don't you think, Jad, Infinity War, part of its genius is that you really don't need to care about the plot. It's kind of like you have a bad guy, get rid of him. You know what I mean? Like there's a very singular goal of that movie. And it's I mean, like you don't need to know. Uh, isn't the genius of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that like it's really like you don't have to care that much about it. You just need to care about the characters because that's yeah. what Marvel banks on. That's why they uh, 
act like directors and writers are so disposable. Like look at all the stories uh, from Marvel and Disney where they're working with a director and the director is pulled out of the movie like halfway mm -hmm. through or something. It's because they really don't need that. They really put all their money and dope into like the talent they have. That's why they get yeah. such talented actors to you know portray their characters because people care about the characters and they care about like the cool moments. Like I, I, if I had you uh, like explain the plot of the first Iron Man movie to me or like Thor Dark World, you could not do it, but you could go, oh yeah, there was a really cool moment when he like first flew Thor Dark World. I don't know anything about that movie. No. I don't remember no, what happened at all, but I remember when no. Loki died. That was pretty cool. Like I care about yeah. those characters and that's what Marvel is banking on that and like selling lots of toys. I will say, I think what separates the MCU from a DC is that there's something about the actors themselves and the camaraderie and wanting to see that cast together that I don't think mm -hmm. I really feel when I'm watching a DC movie. Marvel really has to bank on you liking Chris Evans, liking mm -hmm. RDJ, you know, liking all these people and wanting yeah. to see their characters. Yeah. And I also think like as far as just from someone who doesn't know a lot about the Marvel world, as far as movies on its own, because... I went in blind for both movies. Endgame <laughs> was so much more interesting. There was a little bit more of like a plot and like emotions and a little bit, yeah. I'll be honest, I have not watched any of the DC films other than Man of Steel, just because progressively through the release of Marvel movies, just got more and more sick of superhero movies, but also <laughs> I'm not like the kind of person who like really enjoys dark gritty movies. And mm -hmm. I think that like the Dark Knight does that really well but then kind of like every movie was like oh yeah dark and gritty this is what people like and it got kind of really exhausting and I outputting what was I gonna say well so okay so Jad tell us about your relationship with movies in general I think you're one of our cousins who loves media loves movies and have you always been that way I mean I guess I, I grew up watching movies and being really enamored by the storytelling in movies as like a lot of people are mm -hmm. I also grew up like reading a lot I was like the biggest reader in the family um, yeah, and I anyway. studied English and like I feel like my background studying English like just the way I view storytelling in media is like a bit different I think a lot of people would say I take it very seriously and that I'm no fun but it's just because I really like digging into the stuff and kind of dissecting it well so what movies have you watched recently yeah we were talking and I've actually watched like a lot of movies recently yeah <laughs> uh, so I've watched Looper obviously and then I was watching a YouTube interview with Ryan Johnson from mm -hmm. the time Looper came out and he mentioned how the time travel in that movie was inspired by the Terminator. So I went and watched the Terminator, which despite some dated special effects actually is like a really fun movie. The time travel connection is just that the time travel is not really explained. That's kind of where he was like, okay, it's fine if I don't have to explain time travel in Looper, which mm -hmm. we can talk more about because I know you guys are very eager yeah. to. And then what else have I watched? I watched uh, The Insult. The, the oh, film. I love the insult. I love the insult. Yeah, I watched, I started it before. This is the first time I finished it, and I uh, really liked it. I think it can be a little soap opera y, and I don't know, the writing sometimes, but uh, yeah. I thought it was like a really good film about kind of the sectarian divides in Lebanon and how mm -hmm. these are things that are deep rooted and like, you know, result from, you know, before the 70s and the Civil War, obviously, mm -hmm. like, even after the Civil War, people, like, are still scarred by kind of what happened, and that affects their everyday interactions with people. Yeah. The first time I watched so The really Insult good. was with our parents, and I was sitting next to them, and I go, you know, is this too dramatic of a portrayal? Like, what's happening, you know, like, this very, here in America, everyone you know, the premise of the insult is an insult was exchanged among two very, you know, two people of different backgrounds, religious backgrounds. Yeah, there's and, a, there's like a feud over like a very petty thing between yeah. a Lebanese Christian mm -hmm. man and like a Palestinian 
Muslim man living in Lebanon yeah. in it. So like a very tiny thing which happens in America all the time and then all of a sudden, you know, one person's in jail and it's a huge trial in the country and I go, is this too dramatic? Like, is is this, you know, how it is? And they, my mom was like, you know what, it is, like, it is. Shit, like mm-hmm. this happens all the time there. This is normal. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that that movie doesn't make a caricature of Lebanon. Like the most recent examples, mm-hmm. did you guys see Beirut with John Hamm? Yeah. I know, Jenna, you and I no, saw it. No, it looked really very bad. Upset by it, it also didn't upset. look like Beirut. I'm sorry, I was listening to an episode of The Rewatchables yesterday, and they mentioned Beirut, and Bill Simmons was like, that was a great movie. And I was like, oh, are you crazy? Yes, I know what you're <laughs> yeah. talking about. You know what, the it's, Gone Girl episode, yeah. It's not even about Lebanon, it's about, yeah. like, two white people running around, but anytime Lebanon's depicted in movies, it's either only the war-torn country, or it's, like, the party country of the Middle East. There's no complexity to it, and I really like that the insult takes a very simple story, a very simple argument, and kind of gives you a lot of insight. Yeah, I have not watched the John Hamm Beirut film and probably will not. Uh, I think like anytime two white people are running around, it's it's probably not a good reason. White no. people need to sit down more. I was upset. I was like, this is not, this is not Lebanon. This is not Beirut. I don't want people to see yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The next movie I watched was much lighter though. I ended up rewatching My Big Fat Greek Wedding and that movie comes on, you know? Our we family was obsessed that. with that movie when That's it came like, out yeah, in like Cleveland, remember? Yeah, that's yeah. the closest to what we would get, like a middle, that's like the Greek family could also be Middle Eastern, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, you, know, you could really interchange that family with our family, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's always been fun to watch, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then this morning, because after you had released the episode, I remember messaging you guys, and you guys, you have to watch yeah. it. Uh, I watched Wind River Good. and had a lot of thoughts about it. Okay, yeah. let's dive in. Okay. <laughs> you so, can start. I remember the big thing we talked about kind of exchanging messages after that movie and that you kind of told me, watch it and see. Uh, I was concerned maybe this is a white savior movie. And I I know you Mm -hmm. guys kind of ended your episode going, oh, this is not a white savior movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I still think it is. I I did like the movie a lot. I I, I kind of went into it uh, with an open mind because I like Sicario so much. I think Sicario Mm -hmm. is such an interesting or at least at the time, I found it really interesting because of how it addresses this white saviorism, where the first half of the movie is about these white characters. And the second half kind of pulls this, not quite a twist, but it changes direction and really focuses on like Benicio Del Toro's character. I thought that was really cool, you know? Like I thought that was really refreshing how it did that. So I went just like an open mind. And I was actually really impressed with how many like uh, indigenous actors are in that film. Yeah, so I, I did enjoy it. I don't really particularly like Jeremy Renner much, but he did okay in this movie. Although his character is like really stoic and like very masculine and like a tropey way. Really? I, I, did I didn't come get away that vibe. Really? He's Jenna, just like, you think his he only emotions sweet? being like kind of like seething and like a little sad sometimes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. His, his range that. is not very wide. Did you but think I, he was okay. seething in the movie? I didn't get that. When he's like thinking about his daughter, he's like upset. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to yeah. hunt some people down. I was like, okay. I do like Jeremy Renner, the actor. Like I've, I like his acting. I like that he doesn't have much range and he's kind of the same. And I, I don't know. Movies. I don't like him. There, there is a, he said some shit like on an Avengers press tour one time. See, oh yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, not the some... person. Yeah, I'm the actor. I like seeing him. Yeah, what did he the, say? I mean, you guys have talked about this. There are some actors that are like difficult to divorce from the, like their public personas that. Mm-hmm. It, it's just challenging to watch them sometimes because of that. Yeah. So you're just thinking, oh yeah, this is Jeremy Renner. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, hey, it's Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why he never should have been Hawkeye. Then maybe, maybe then he would never make his stupid comments on the Avengers press store. I think Layla, it was about like Scarlett Johansson. I think he said something sexist, right? Uh, 
It's interesting. Uh, but so ultimately, do you feel like, I mean, there are obviously white characters who are there trying yeah. to do quote unquote the right thing. But do you yeah. think, I still don't walk away from it feeling like the movie is really dedicated to those white characters. I still think it's dedicated to Natalie and what happened I, to her. Yeah, it's complicated because I think the movie is really trying its hardest to tell the story of, you know, the tribe on the Wind River Reservation and kind of the challenges they face and that no one really thinks of them. And, you know, assaults happen when murders happen. They really don't get the support they need. There's even moments where, like, uh, Jeremy Renner's character, who, you know, has family that is, you know, he's married, he was married to an indigenous woman and has children who are mixed race. He talks as if, you know, oh, you know, this is our land. People and like, other characters in the movie are like, no, this is like our land, not yours. So mm-hmm. he, he and Elizabeth Olsen's character are both positions as outsiders, even though he is much closer to yeah. kind of the people there and uh, events that happened because his own daughter suffered a, a similar fate. But I still came away thinking, you know, as much as this movie is really trying to tell the story of indigenous people, it, it still falls into like a lot of traps that movies like this can. It spends so much time with these two white characters who are protagonists. It really is centered on kind of their reaction and their motivations to solve mm-hmm. the mystery in this film. I've read a review where a reviewer pointed out, I think maybe not entirely fairly, but I think pretty spot on how there's a scene where Jeremy Renner's character is talking to the father of Natalie and kind of explaining how he got over his daughter's grief. And this reviewer is like, you know, give it to a white man to explain like grief to like a Native American man who like Mm, obviously is like known a lot more lost than this guy. But yeah, on a base level, these are two fathers who are experiencing like the loss of their daughter and like of course exactly. they would want to connect, but the way the movie like frames it, he literally is like a white savior. I was watching this movie and in the end, he's literally wearing like a white snowsuit, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's the white savior. <laughs> uh, and still think it's an enjoyable movie with a lot to say, but like I was thinking, okay, how necessary was it for them to cast like white performers in this? Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, part of it is a movie like this may not get made or get as much marketing or awareness like public awareness if it did not have these very recognizable white actors yeah uh, i found out like 90 percent of the film was actually funded by like tribes who oh, really wow. wanted this told yeah also like i think the movie could have been much stronger if jeremy renner's character was he, his character was played by like an indigenous actor so i don't know i just felt like th- there is some changes i would have made and I, I do think the movie centers itself on these two white characters in a way that kind of makes the indigenous performers, their characters kind of on the sideline. And then a lot of them are, other than I think, I think his name is Ben, like the indigenous police officer. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are like really passive and like don't really do anything. And it's just like the white characters who are driving this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, like, I'm not upset the movie got made. I think it's yeah. a good movie that has a lot to say, a lot of important things to say. And I think your episode on it was like really strong and powerful. Thank you. But there are small things that I think good-natured, uh, or maybe I should say well-intended, like, white people and white creators do that, I don't know, can kind of just come across as, mm-hmm. I don't know, self-congratulatory, I guess. And this felt like one of those movies where I, I've read a little bit of Taylor Sheridan, and he seems like he really cares about the issues the movie was talking yeah. about, but he's still, like, a white guy. He's not mm-hmm. uh, directly affected by this. You know, he his people are not squeezed into your reservation dying off like slowly like kind of forgotten by like the rest of America so it's just about 
that. And I don't necessarily think that like white people can't tell stories about non-white people, but there, there's a thin line. There is right? some decisions. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, there's a line. I, I do. I do think he did a lot of work. Like apparently he like refused to like cast non-indigenous actors as indigenous characters, which I think is like a great first step. Mm -hmm. but, well, and you said that the tribes were funding, right? So maybe we can at least hope behind the scenes that they were the mm -hmm. ones who were guiding. I mean, I agree with everything everyone's saying. It's not a perfect movie, but I still think it's one worth watching, obviously. Like, we've all pretty much agreed and that there is a lot of merit to it. And, you know, hopefully, I mean, I think this movie in someone else's hands could have been far worse. You know, it could have been a lot more, a lot less... I don't know what like the right word is. this movie is. directed by a woman. Yeah, yeah. I think actually yeah. that, could be, that could be really interesting, right? I mean, we'll see how movies change going forward, but I think this is one of the better representations we've gotten of the indigenous communities in the States, right? So Yeah, but I think what Jad is trying to say, we, I, especially me, I try mm -hmm. to be like, well, given the circumstances, it's good enough. And Jad mm -hmm. was like, well, I don't care about this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it should, this shouldn't be There's like a minimum. Yeah, this yeah. should be like, you know what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, it's, it's important to give credit to what the movie does well. It's yeah. equally important to not just say well you know pat ourselves on the back we did a great job we're done here but to actually kind of like demand more yeah. and ask mm -hmm. more questions and i think you know this movie's a great launching off point to have those discussions well wow. any final thoughts jenna before we get to looper i just think the the comment about you know what if this film had been directed by a woman i hadn't thought about that and i think, I think it yeah, would have been a so much more heartbreaking film if it was there's like a lot of like masculine energy in wind river and mm -hmm. i think the movie handles its subject with as much care as it's able, but mm -hmm. I feel like if it was directed by a woman or like even someone with an indigenous background, it could have been really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like they could have actually made Natalie more of a character and not just this body mm -hmm. uh, until like that, that flashback scene where she isn't even much of a character there either. Uh, like I, I would have wanted to know her other than, uh, as more than just, oh, here's a girl that died and we feel bad because we want to like we feel very um, like men feel very protective of like women we're like oh we're gonna solve this because a girl died mm -hmm. i think the way to do that would be to turn this into a television show but like a whole like oh just a one season you know just like uh, yeah, tell like this amazing series. story and that's yeah that's it and have it created by a woman mm -hmm. it's so funny because for me like i'll watch one episode of gilmore girls a day and then i'm like okay i'm done <laughs> like i'm done with tv i think no i think that's really great and there was an article on kotaku about watching an anime series kind of episode by episode and they're talking about how sometimes when you're binging a, a series like a lot of it kind of passes you by because your brain is just not having the time to register what's happening yeah mm -hmm. i think it's actually like a really interesting project like actually take your time with something and watch it like an episode or two at a time and you can actually like sit with the material more. Well, I think we should dive into Looper. Um, yeah. S, I know you're guiding the episode, but I actually think it would be kind of fun if Jad gave us the intro of Looper, like, you know, the overview, and then you can guide the rest of it. Okay, sure. Because I feel yeah. like he, you know, I, I feel like you, you love this movie and you know it really well. And yeah. So the, Looper, 2012 science fiction movie directed by Ryan Johnson who we know today is the director of The Last Jedi and Knives Out, but at the time had never really, he had never really directed a big budget film before. Before Looper, The Brothers Bloom with his biggest budget film, and like I watched that recently, and I'll probably mention it later, but that like movie wasn't great. But Brick, his first movie, which is kind of a, mm. a high school detective film with a younger Joseph Gordon-Levitt, that's kind of where their collaboration started, is, is very, very good and kind of put him on yeah. the map. He is working on this time travel film called Looper, and he's like, I really want Joseph Gordon-Levitt to be in it. And we're going to get Bruce Willis as well. 
uh, playing the same character. <laughs> I'm already laughing. I'm already laughing. Yeah. So <laughs> the movie is about Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing a character who's a looper. He's kind of like a hitman. Yeah. Who, his job is to kill targets that are sent from the future to the past. Young Young Joe, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, mm-hmm. who has to assassinate Old Joe, played by Bruce Willis. But Old Joe gets loose in the past and it's kind of this cat and mouse thing where they're trying to catch each other. Well, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is trying to catch Bruce Willis. And then they kind of get involved in this whole other plot because Bruce Willis has other reasons for wanting to be in the past. He's trying to kill the, the Rainmaker before the Rainmaker becomes the Rainmaker. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like, I guess, where some of the Terminator influence comes from, where he's trying to kill a person who will become a big deal in the future. The Rainmaker apparently like ruined old Joe's life. The Rainmaker, of course, is just like a five-year-old at this time. And young mm-hmm. Joe becomes entangled with young Sid and his mother, Sarah, played by Emily Blunt. Yes. And yeah, shenanigans happen. That's like not a good summary, but... No, no, no. Yeah, that this was is amazing. such a complicated story. Yeah, basically everything like like everything you said, it's young Joe versus old Joe. Emily Blunt is the mother of the child who will become the rainmaker. And it's basically a race to see if young Joe can save this child before old Joe comes to Well, will he fiction. also like want it's to? Interesting. Yeah, because he's like not really decided on whether he wants to save this child at all at first. Uh, the demon he, child. <laughs> uh, so old Joe comes to the past with a map. And on this map is the birthday, uh, basically. He has, they're like hospital records. Mm-hmm. Birthday and then the Rainmaker. Code, office they can't uh, identify who the Rainmaker is. It just has the birthday and like the hospital like ID code. And three kids are born the same day in this hospital. So old Joe's like, I'm just going to kill all three of these children. Uh, and young Joe's like, okay, I have torn off a piece of this map. I know where one of these children is. I'm just going to camp there until old Joe mm-hmm. comes back. Then I'll kill old Joe and I'll get my life back together because the looper like abe played by jeff daniels is kind of the overseer of the looper like program or whatever and yeah wants to capture young joe and old joe because it's, it's, it makes things very complicated when time travelers are like running around and one of his own assassins is like running around rogue basically you know a part of this movie is about young joe coming to terms of like he should care about people other than himself Mm-hmm. Um, you know, meeting Emily Blunt's character, Sarah and, and Sid, I was like, oh, I, I, I'm very curious what you thought about this kid. Cause he, he was legit like only five years old in this movie. Demon He's child. so good. But Jenna, <laughs> I, okay, fight. so Jenna and I, we saw this in theaters together, 2012. We did see this in theaters. I could I, I forgot yeah. a lot about this movie. I was so shocked when Emily Blunt appeared on the screen. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was so, so happy. Theaters. I love Emily Blunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First thing is part of the reason I chose this movie is because Jad loves Ryan Johnson. And then secondly, Jenna made a comment, a very ignorant oh, comment early on, early yes. on in this podcast where she says, Emily Blunt, not that great. Something along those lines. <laughs> and so we're here to show you Emily Blunt, potentially best actress of her generation. Okay. Yeah, legit is like, one of my favorite actresses. I, I only watched Sicario because we were at the movies and the movie we wanted to see wasn't out yet. Thanks, Mm Mandy. So I was like, well, we're here. We should just watch this movie, Emily Blunt. I don't know what it's about. Yeah. (laughs) He looked up the wrong movie. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, oh yeah, this movie's definitely out. It didn't come out for like two weeks or something. Um, I should mention very briefly, this movie takes place in 2044, uh, Mm -hmm. near somewhat dystopic future where like there's mass poverty in Kansas. They filmed it in Louisiana, which I'll mention later when we talk about whether this movie is too white or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is to say that like literally all like the black people in this movie are just background extras they had 
found in Louisiana, I'm sure. Exactly. But Jana, back to the kid, Jana definitely has always been creeped out about this kid. She was when we saw it in 2012. She still is now. <laughs> he does that thing where he stares down like the creepy kid does and then looks up. Yeah. I think little kids are cute sidekicks in movies, but I don't like it when they play creepy people. <laughs> he's creepy. Um, and like, he's kind of a scary character because, I mean, as is revealed later in the movie, in this world, you have people with like some telekinetic powers and most people can't do more than like float a coin around. It's kind of like a car, like I'm doing a magic trick or something. Like people are not impressed by this. But Sid is like one of the few people who actually has like extraordinarily powerful telekinetic powers. And like, this is something that could make him very threatening and powerful in the future should he like go bad and become the Rainmaker. But mm-hmm. Emily Blunt's character is like convinced, no, I'm his mother. I'll take care of him. He'll be a good person. He can um, use it for good. And I thought that was such a beautiful moment when she was like mm-hmm. crying and telling Young Joe that. This is when Young Joe realizes that Sid is the Rainmaker and he's confronting Sarah about it. And she's adamant that he won't be who he's destined to be and that she she will make sure that he's a good person. Like her, a mother's love will, you know, mm-hmm. prevail. There's a lot to be said about kind of how this movie addresses identity and implications of the world. But it is, you know, ultimately a simple story about how like love can change who you are and mm-hmm. can uh, guide you through the right path. You know, uh, young Joe is a character who has grown up basically, he grew, he's an orphan who was found by Abe and conscripted to be a looper. Same thing with Kid Blue played by Noah Segan. He was a kid who Abe found and was like, hey, I'm gonna make you like one of my people. You're gonna be one of my hired guns. And it's about these people who are like really violent and like fucked up because they have been ostensibly abandoned and taken in by like these horrible people who like teach them like literally apes. Like I made you, uh, I gave you what was yours. I made you like a person because I put a gun in your hand. Like that's really mm-hmm. fucked up. Yeah, it's this movie reminds me of Arrival in the sense that it is a sci-fi movie, but I think it transcends the sci-fi genre because it has Mm. these very kind of human ideals in its base. You know, a mother's unconditional love for her son, the idea that you never have enough time with the people you love, you know, which is why old Joe is determined to get rid of the Rainmaker. And kind of just being at a moral crossroads and deciding whether or not you're going to make the selfless decision like young Joe does or whether or not you're going to be selfish, you know, so... There's definitely a lot, which is, we're going to get into it with kind of the critical reception, but I think this movie has a lot of depth, although some of the negative reviews for it say it doesn't have depth, and that's why it's not worth watching. Interesting interesting that you bring that up, because I was doing some reading yesterday, and Ryan Johnson was interviewed, and they were asked, like, why, uh, you know, were you upset, or, you know, why were you trying to push so hard that that the trailer comes off, makes this movie come off like an action movie? And he was like, it's because I didn't want... I wanted people when they saw it to realize like all the layers of depth that we have with this family that is like mm-hmm. brought into like that brought into the story. Yeah, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Emily's Emily Blunt's character and like Sid are not introduced for fifty minutes, and yeah. at that point, it really expands and becomes a different movie than I think what you expect from the first fifty minutes, which for is like sure. a time travel action romp. They um, really make the story better when they come in. That's where like yeah. all the themes are. That's where like the movie. That's where the movie's actually trying to say stuff. You know, it all comes together there. I was just going to say that I can see why, like, at a maybe first glance, critics would say, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a lot of depth because you do have to kind of draw a couple conclusions, maybe, yeah. and, like, yeah. think about it more deeply because it is a time travel movie. Mm-hmm. So. Like, let's Which pause actually, and talk about that and go back to Sada's point about Arrival. Like, this is mm-hmm. technically a work of science fiction, but is it a yeah. time travel movie? Like, how prominent is time travel in this movie other than, like, 
the impetus for like the plot. Well, I think there's a quote by old Joe to young Joe where he says, time travel shit doesn't matter. We can sit and make diagrams with straws, but let's not get into it. And that kind of mm -hmm. tells you everything you need to know about the sci-fi aspect of this movie. Yeah. It's not about time travel, but I think it handles time travel better than some other time travel movies at the same time, you know, even though it's not the focus of it. Jada disagrees. Uh, we'll we'll get into it, and I'm sure Jad had some research done on this as well. Uh, a little bit. I did consider actually making the diagram with straws. I do have some problems with it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I have some questions because some things don't make sense. But like, yeah. if you compare it to Avengers Endgame, I feel like yeah, the time travel in that movie doesn't make sense at all. Does this not, one is a they, little more logical. <laughs> well, that Endgame, a, they piece together a yeah. half-ass explanation to just, yeah. just throw it at you. I think yeah. it is handled better here. And this is a major point of criticism about the movie when it came out. A lot of people were like, were distracted by the fact that the time travel doesn't always make a lot of sense. And Ryan Johnson interviews have been pretty clear. Like he tried early on because he worked on this movie for a long time to uh, figure out how the time travel would work. And mm -hmm. he just got frustrated because writing it was so difficult when he was trying to make the time travel make sense. And he had this epiphany that like, oh, time travel like never makes sense in movies. So I'm just gonna like tell my story, the time travel will be there. It might not necessarily be the most logical, perfect like device, but it's there to get things started. Jana, your thoughts? Do you think the fact that they, going back to that, what that critic had to say about how the movie mm -hmm. lacks depth, do you think because they included time travel, that's how some people took it as like, this is such an elementary, childish concept. No, I mean, it's that's not That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. 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 That's what I was trying to I say. I mean, listen, the movie has spectacle in it, but it's also nuanced at the same time. You know, like it's flashy. It's about kind of, it's like there's one of my favorite scenes is the disparity of wealth scene where you see Joe in his fancy car yeah. and it, you know, there's, but at the same time, they're stealing on the side of the road. There's people being shot. Like mm -hmm. there's such a disparity in wealth. And yeah, there's like mass homelessness, mass poverty yeah. in the background of this film. And it makes for some really interesting world building. But like you have like Paul, Dana's character, Seth, like literally like threatening uh, a homeless man because he got too near to his like new motor, like uh, Seth's new motorcycle. And mm -hmm. you know, you look at like what young Joe's apartment looks like, and it's huge. Yeah. It's just like he parties every night, you know, the drugs, drugs recreationally. Has like I, I, I don't remember what car it is, but he has like a like a car from the '90s. It's like in perfect condition. He just mm -hmm. is in love with and like. You just see people like running, like walking around their rags, like begging for food in the background. What's scary is it's 2020, 2044 doesn't sound that far away. This could really be our future. I mean, oh I, Jana, Lena, <laughs> I feel like Jad and I are very much on the same page about this. Do you guys feel the same way? I have a hope oh. for the world, but you know, it's been a rough I, year. I'm, mix, I'm mixed about it. I think I go back and forth. I think my perspective a couple years ago would be different than it is now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if maybe that's a push talking but a push i don't know i do i sometimes i don't think we're that much better than we think we are from back then okay. you know what i mean yeah. like we think like oh, oh 50 years you know you yeah. know what I, like mm -hmm. we think 50 years ago is probably so awful but sometimes i don't even think we're that progress compared to then oh for sure i think i think the question <laughs> will be whether or not we get crim uh the sorry the climate change under control because if we don't get it under control you're going to see a lot of people from more impoverished countries from these island communities or whatever moving into more industrialized cities and then you're really going to see the rich getting richer probably and the poor getting yeah poorer. And, and that yeah. also in a battle for resources and, and, yeah. and politics kind of worsens that too oh we have a cat Jada, where's where's where? Willow? we should I, get the Willow's cats in on my the bedroom podcast. willow's Mariah's in my bedroom very vocal. 
She doesn't like that. Don't give her attention. But that's oh. that. See, that's how Willow is, and I don't want Sada yelling at me in the middle of the podcast. Um, but yeah, I think Sada's completely right about this. Um, you know, we are arguing with ourselves, trying to get action started, and yet nothing's happening, and we're moving closer and closer to like this mm -hmm. environmental nightmare, like that we're in the beginning of. It's uh, really scary. And I think Looper is a movie kind of about uh, how like cycles can really uh, backtrack us and stop us from moving forward. Like it's called Looper. You know, this is about, mm -hmm, yeah. it's a movie yeah. explicitly about like cycles of like violence and apathy that uh, really make everyone's lives worse. And this is a realization young Joe has where he goes, oh shit, like, this cycle will be uh, Sid's life if I don't take action to sacrifice myself. The spoilers, mm -hmm. the end of the movie, he kills himself, which then makes old Joe vanish. Yeah. Uh, old Joe is about to kill Sarah, and Joe realizes, oh, like, he, like, Sid with Sarah could have a chance to, like, mm -hmm. be a good person. Like, he needs love in his life. Exactly. Um, if people were more empathetic, the world would be a better place, but... Whatever. It's yeah. Moral story. Yeah. Moral, the moral of the story. Of the story. <laughs> <laughs> there you did it. Okay, there I, I think this is a good time to jump into some of the our like notable movie moments. Can I can I pause okay. real quick? I know I'm, I'm probably gonna make us do this a lot, but is this the last movie Bruce Willis gave a shit about? <laughs> oh my god! Wait, that's one of my questions. I was gonna say, when was the last Bruce Willis movie that you guys can remember? For me, this is it. I can't I really can't. remember. IMDb open a lot. Yeah, he's good in this one. It's not, not like bad. your typical yeah. Bruce Willis performance. Ten minutes gone. What is that? Zayda says what his most recent movie is called Ten Minutes Gone. He's done a lot in the past year and yeah. has things coming out soon. Okay. Maybe it'll be like a reconnaissance, but for Bruce Look Willis. How bad. I remember reading when this movie was coming out how Ryan Johnson was talking about how easy Bruce Willis was to work with. And mm. I was kind of surprised by that because I've heard a lot of stories about him being like, Kind of a nightmare to work really? with. What I've read is that he really respected Ryan Johnson and the script. He is, he really likes movies where like it's a director writer because he feels like oh I'm here to like help this person tell their story. I'm not just here for some directors filming an action movie or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't see him being like a excuse my language an asshole though. Like he strikes me as like a little soft mm -hmm. grandpa. I don't well, know. <laughs> I don't know. But the reality is most actors are probably assholes closer to being assholes yeah. than they are to being angels right but but i think this is a good time i'm curious to see what you guys will think we often talk about who the villain of a movie is do you feel that old joe mm. is the villain of this movie because uh, there are moments yeah. where we're really on his side actually I made a note of that that i wrote down it's such an interesting concept when part of the villain is yourself because mm. you think the whole time yeah, it's the rainmaker, deep. it's Abe, bro. I'm you should. I'm writing this um, like this badass paper for school. <laughs> All my notes have gotten so like this podcast is changing me. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I just thought that was really interesting because I think we all were focused on the rainmaker, Abe. Those are the villains, and then all of a sudden we realized, no, no, the you know part of the villain is is actually Joe. but two things it's so weird that old joe and young joe do not see themselves as being the same person they really treat them treat one another like they're opposite entities old joe is probably more aware that young joe is the younger version of himself but for young joe it's like there's no separation between the two there's yeah, no young joe's like connection. i could be you but i don't have to be 
What's exactly. the separation here? Really bad prosthetics. I can't believe we've gone this long without <laughs> talking about the literal separation here. Why they don't even look alike. It's just looking at Joseph Gordon-Lovett, he, lo he looks he looks like a Sim character. Like from the front, <laughs> he looks like himself, but straight on, he looks like he's from The Sims. It's really bad. Well, like halfway through the movie though, he starts to look more normal. Once he stops doing Maybe drugs, he starts to look more face. normal. Well, did you guys know that he went to Columbia University? He studied, he studied French. He studied, he studied French, French and history French and yeah. French history and something. Yeah. Let's do our okay. favorite scenes. So we can talk about yeah. the MVP. Yeah. So notable movie moments. Yeah. Mine. I'm gonna go out of order here, and I'm, I I want to okay. bring this up. And um, I feel like Jad, you probably would have brought this up eventually. Uh, something I wasn't happy with: uh, Joe and Sarah having sex. Really? I didn't think like what I felt you know we talk about this like women are there you know to serve as like the romantic fixture and like or like sexual beings and I kind of felt they were exploiting her in that way I was it just didn't need to be done it didn't move the plot forward we could have learned about her like more advanced telekinetic you know abilities in other mm -hmm. ways oh, I just wow I didn't think that they needed to have sex and I wasn't happy Actually, that okay. they made her I would have rather that they didn't have the female character do that. Yeah. Sana, do you want to go first? Yeah, I actually really like that scene. I like that you feel like I think what Ryan Johnson says about it is you're not supposed to feel like they're soulmates or they're madly in love, but that it's two lonely people like mm -hmm. finding exactly. having a moment. So why do together. they have to have sex? The it's sex so scene typical. that bothers me, the one that bothers me is, so another female character in this movie, Susie, is the dancer. I think she's also a sex worker. And there's a mm -hmm. moment where she spends like one of the few minutes we get with her on screen, she has her top off for no reason. Like they don't even end up having sex in that scene, you know? Yeah. That scene yeah. bothers me. I feel like that's- I don't know how much her. the nudity in that scene is necessary. I yeah. have an explanation for it. Ryan Johnson apparently felt like the nudity was important because it's showing this intimate side of her even though she is, you know, sensibly performing sex work or attempting to perform mm -hmm. sex work in that scene, uh, which is in contrast to Joe, like not having it. He really does not want to sleep with anyone. He just wants to mm -hmm. be like held because he's like a really bad spot because he's just sold yeah. out his friend. Okay. Um, I think this movie does wrong by Susie, but we'll talk about that yeah. when we talk about the Bechdel test, I guess. Mm -hmm. But okay, yeah. so what's your thought of on the Emily Blunt Joe scene? So I don't think it's, I think it's different from what Jeanne is describing because She's the Emily Blunt's character. Sarah is the one who initiates this. She yeah, uses the like, like <laughs> device to signal Joe, and he doesn't really know what's going on. But he's like, "Sure, why not?" Because uh, ultimately, yeah, they are just like two really lonely people. Um, and she was—I don't know—she was feeling it. I felt like it just played up that lonely, sad mom, you know, shtick. Mm. I, I wasn't. I didn't uh, think the scene I ultimately know. isn't sexualized. <laughs> They're wearing clothes at the beginning. They fall into bed. It cuts to black, it. which is like the most noir thing to do, and this is a neo-noir film, and it, it yeah. fades back. They're both in bed, dressed. She's smoking a cigarette, which is hilarious. Mm -hmm. That like fade the black, smoking a cigarette's classic. Like yeah, no, I like. I think scene. what I think what Jenna's saying is you could have accomplished the same kind of goal of that scene if she just calls him to talk to him, and they're yeah. sitting in bed smoking. Like maybe they didn't need to have sex, right? Is that what you're trying to? It's actually, yeah, it's funny that Jad, you just said that like she's more complex than that. And I actually wrote down, it makes her seem more one-dimensional one to me. Like, of mm. course, she's a sad woman who just wants to have, like, who has sex in that moment to feel something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like part of you is judging her, so I don't. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm judging 
the way that they wrote this, the, the action that they made this character do. I don't know. I get it. It has I nothing mean, to do with her. To... Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. still think she's one of the more interesting, complex female characters we've gotten in the past few years. And I don't screen. think, I don't think it did anything bad for the movie. Like that scene. I don't think it. No, like... it didn't. Yeah. Um, Jenna, wanna... your point's well taken. Yeah. I think it's also interesting that we never see Joe initiate, whether it's with Susie or with her. I mean, it tells you a little bit about his character and he like wasn't expecting it when he walks into the room. And kind of female empowerment, right? Like, yeah. Woo-hoo. A little I mean, bit. I mean, like, I still think this movie has some, like, not great gender politics. I sure. think it's interesting that uh, Emily Blunt's character is introduced to this character who, who, without hesitation, will shoot you. And she does shoot Joe at one point, which, which is yeah. great. But she really does not, she's not, like, the female badass or anything, you know. Yeah. She is, I think, a, a more realistic and nuanced, like, person who is willing to, like, defend her son however she can, mm-hmm. but also is like really lonely and like feels a lot of guilt over not being in her son's life like first couple years of his life mm-hmm. well jenna what are your other favorite scenes oh a, just or- the scene i loved was when sarah first appears and <laughs> she runs out with her gun and she goes listen up fucker <laughs> like, <laughs> i thought that was great and then i the next scene i i wrote down was when sid kills one of the gats and we kind of realized the the power that he has i mean yeah this is the first time you actually see crazy. on screen his yeah. like telekinetic power and it is really violent he like explodes this man from yeah. the inside out he was i just wrote demon child holy shit (laughs) (laughs) not a lot of depth there but it was just insane to see and then at the end of the movie it's memorable and then at the end of the movie like this all happens the same day right you know where Mm -hmm. joe dies at the end and then emily blunt you see her tucking in sid and i'm like did they walk through a house that was like completely bloody and just go into sid's room and put him to bed how yeah, he was covered in blood. He and yeah. probably like exhausted. So yeah, like yeah. a five-year-old. Every time Sid has a quote-unquote episode, he just goes, you know, uh, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, what else is he gonna say? And Sarah's He's like, yeah, he like it's doesn't fine. know how to like process a lot of these emotions. He feels like a lot of guilt over it. It's just so funny to think like if any of this was real. I just, I don't know. A child having a temper tantrum that accidentally kills people and then you just having to say, all right, it's okay, things happen. <laughs> Let's move what on. are you supposed to say? All right, Jad, what were your moments? Some things. Uh, my favorite moments, the montage that shows how young Joe becomes old Joe is like all-time great moment in this film. Oh my God, I have so many thoughts on that. And, You're and right. It's scored uh, with some great music by Nathan Johnson, who I think is Ryan Johnson's like cousin who does a lot oh. of like scores for his films. The soundtrack of this movie is awesome. But mm. it's just like a really well-made montage. And it's like all silent other than this mu- mu- music where it shows kind of a split in the timeline to show how old Joe became old Joe. Where young Joe closes his loop. Instead of old Joe running away, young Joe kills him. He closes his loop. He collects the cash. He gets her closing his loop. Then bails, goes to China, falls in love. Sh- shortly after like losing all his money and going back to doing crime, and after he meets his wife, he kind of has this like peaceful life, you know, mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. the Rainmaker's men appear and kind of take that away from him and send him back in time. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with you. Just a few things to add is this, this scene also made me realize one, how well done the editing in this movie is and yeah. the sound mixing in general. It's like, I feel like those are two things we don't often appreciate enough, but even in Knives Out, which is the most recent movie Johnson directed, like he, 
he has such a nice aesthetic to his movies, you know? Yeah, can I mention real quick, the, the sound editing in Wind River was pretty awful. Oh, did you think really? so? The dialogue was so much quieter than everything else. I had to keep changing my volume. It was really disorienting. Oh, I didn't notice that issue. But... Yeah, maybe just like the version of the movie I was watching was, was weird. But, um, We're yeah. still getting our critical eye together. Yeah. <laughs> well, with this montage, I mean, it's I really appreciate it because it's hard to do something like this and pull it off. And you have to think like in a handful of minutes, we learn everything we need to know about old Joe. Yeah. And it kind of immediately puts really us on effective. the side once we see his relationship with his wife. Yeah. You're kind of at least in that moment, the movie shifts. It like you're like okay maybe old Joe's the protagonist maybe he's the guy I should be watching he just wants to save his wife he wants to have a life with her and it's Bruce Willis who we're taught is the hero in a lot of his mm -hmm. action movies so and he doesn't say a word in that montage he doesn't say a word yeah yeah all just people's faces really compared his... to like young Joe who in his introduction he's speaking French which fun fact apparently the verb he's conjugating is like to have like all he mm. cares about is like possessing things and like holding on to it's... what it is and he comes oh, across right. as like a really kind of he comes across as a real jerk like early on in the film until like you get to that second half and then kind of the position changes where you realize old joe is like really scary and young joe is trying to like help people sorry well your other favorite scene i don't have a lot specifically i really like the scene after when garrett dillahunt's character visits sarah's ranch sid and joe go in the basement and like go through like a tunnel and they're just like watching the house through like this you know to call it like the safe house and they just have this conversation where Sid is like asking questions, like like he's thinking about things children his age really should not be thinking of. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. he's had to think about them. And young Joe is telling him, hey, like when I was a kid, I was really angry and I had nothing and I was given this gun and now look at me. And it's like kind of sad, but like that's the scene that like, explains the decision at the end. Like there's the montage at the end of the movie where young Joe imagines the path kids Sid would go on if his mother died. He just imagines Sid on a train, covered in blood, like really upset. And I like that's not like a future I think would happen, but basically that's a memory young Joe has that he's just put Sid where he was. And mm -hmm. he, like, Sid could go on two paths. He could be like a normal, like good person. It could do a lot of good in the world. Or he could become Joe. That's what this movie's about is he could become like a killer, like Joe is, yeah. like for much of the movie. Mm -hmm. Ending the cycle. Like you're saying, ending the cycle. Yeah. Ending the cycle, yeah. the loop. Closing your loop. Uh, do you guys want to get into MVPs and LVPs? Or oh, is wait, it too soon. I just want to do mine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm trying I just to have produce. A other scenes. Oh, thank you, Dana. Yeah. Thank you for your executive pa production. For the you can't. You have to keep that in. You can't cut that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, that's gonna stay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like this is the first time Lilo like on, on mic is producing. Like, you, know. you, should, you should applaud applaud that, you know? I do. I like it because she'll normally tell us, like, I want her to be more vocal and say when we should stop talking or when we should move on. Yeah. You know. I only really have, like, two scenes I want to bring up. The the first is what I call the Bruce Willis meets Bruce Willis scene, the diner oh, scene. Oh, yeah, the diner scene is so good. Such a good scene. <laughs> there, there's, something so, <laughs> there's something so interesting about young Joe and old Joe coming together where it's two the same person at very different points in their life. Like you have to remember up until this point, we don't know old Joe's plan yet. We don't know that he's planning on killing children. So we still are maybe thinking he's the hero of the story. And young Joe just sounds so entitled. He sounds so selfish. He just wants his money. He wants a life for himself. And old Joe is telling him, no, you don't understand. Like one day, everything's going to change for you. You're going to meet a woman who's going to save your life. And then you'll want to do anything for her. And 
it's just, it's a really, I don't know, there's also something about the fact that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like really imitating Bruce Willis's acting. Like he kind of has mm-hmm. the same, he's trying to do a similar shtick. And so you're seeing these two people come together and- I'm looking in a mirror. There's, I don't know, it's a good scene. There's a lot of tension and- Yeah. The favorite ahead. thing is they both order steak and fries, the exact same order, and then neither of them touches their food. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. <laughs> They never touch that's your food in movies. Yeah, no, actually, crazy. a lot of movies will have scenes where you eat because the actors will look more natural in them. But I'm thinking of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and they never eat their food. Yeah. And they've yeah. said that in interviews, that they ju- the food just sits there. Like, they never eat it. Yeah. So the challenging thing in movies like this, because I was listening to the commentary, and they were talking about that scene. And uh, one, I think they just forgot about the food. But Emily Blunt was talking about it in one of her early movies. She was eating the food in a scene. Uh, it was like a fried English breakfast, but the thing is you have to do more than one take. So every time you should have to eat like a little bit of this like really like oily, greasy food and apparently uh-huh. you're sick. It's like oh, you, yeah. you have to think about how many times like, like performers have to go through a scene. Yeah. Like eating oh, that yeah, much definitely. food is like not realistic sometimes. My second favorite scene, Johnny, you, I think we've all, both you and Jad have mentioned this, but really the scene where it's immediately after Sid has this episode that kills the one guy, I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden, the guy who it's comes Jesse. to Jesse. Is the name of Jesse. the character. Yes, he, he has his episode, Jesse physically explodes. And then young Joe realizes who Sid is and they run out the house and you just see Emily Blunt fall on the floor and go, no, you don't understand. Like, you can't kill him. What if he grows up with me? What if I show him what's right? Like, what if he has a mother's love? And it's oh, just I such just a moving scene. It I've is. been emotional all week. I have no idea why, but I really teared up at that scene. Yeah. I'm so emotional. So they both <laughs> run after Sid in the cane field. And yeah. You don't know what Joe young Joe's gonna do. Exactly. And all of a sudden he sees Sid. A lot of it's Emily Blunt's voice. The way she yells for Sid, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like heartbreaking. You know, I don't know how to explain it. it. It's kind of heartbreaking. And like, it sounds like she really lo- like she really played this character very well. Yeah, there are not many actresses that you watch on screen and you kind of like immediately trust and want to root for. And I really feel like she has that quality in all of her movies. Like you want to be on her side. A Quiet Place. Yeah, Quiet Place. I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, those are my scenes. Overall, I did such just a good realize movie. one scene that we haven't talked about at all. Mm-hmm. Seth getting tortured, <gasps> like older Seth. That's that's when you realize the people that you're dealing with, and that makes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. misleading Should too because you think they're the villains. Give an overview of the scene. Yeah, yeah. Back up a little bit. So this yeah. is pretty early in the movie, and uh, the mm-hmm. scene uh, is pretty long, but it's it's is there to set up kind of. One, not only the threat that, well, the supposed threat that Abe and his Gatman, uh, 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 that Abe and his Gatman, like, represent, but it's also there to, like, set up some of the rules of time travel. And what happens is Seth comes over to Joe in the middle of the night. It's like, Joe, you have to protect me. I let my older self run loose in the future. And what ends up happening is Joe, because he is told by Abe, if you don't give your friend up, we're going to take away all the money you've been storing up. And Joe is just so reluctant to give up his his life, his world, that he gives up his best friend. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they put him on an operating table and they start, like, cut him up and taking off limbs and stuff it like that. It starts with his nose. And it, it, oh. sh- it just shows the older Seth running around. All of a sudden he starts, like, his his nose vanishes. Then his, his, his fingers start vanishing. And it's just horrifying. Like, he's trying to get to the location. They have carved a note into his hand saying, hey, be here. And it's just, yeah, it's really, like, scary, actually. Mm-hmm. It's it's scary. But you know what's funny in retrospect with that scene is 
Do we want to talk about the time travel? Should I even? Bring I think this let's up? jump in. We let's have to. Okay. Yeah, let's go. I wrote this down because there are moments where it's clear that what happens in the past will affect the older version of that person. Seth is a perfect example. You start to see the physical marks on his body, and then old Joe and young Joe have that same thing, but their memories don't quite work the same. You know, what's happening to young Joe should affect old Joe, right? So his memory should be changing in real time, but they don't. You know what I mean? It's, it, there's a that lot of like- sort of explained. He says that is it? his memory is kind of like cloudy where eventually he will lose the memory of like his future. Okay. And he has okay. lost a lot of memories that have been replaced with new memories. And there's a scene where he's really trying to remember what his wife's face looks like. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot yeah. of difficulty with it because that memory is like fading. Like it's not an immediate, change but so this is one thing like if he's starting to lose the memory of his wife who's kind of his wife is what's driving this quest wouldn't his quest then become futile you know what i mean i don't even know what that word means. so this you is the time saying? travel question okay yeah. it's, uh so young joe kills himself at the end doesn't that make nothing in this movie happen like has, has anything happened in this movie because all of a sudden now like, if yeah. young joe dies old joe doesn't exist and doesn't have to come back in time and start movie oh my god you're right well there's also there's also the whole thing of young joe goes on and lives his life right and the rainmaker still is becomes the rainmaker Mm -hmm. where at the end we make it seem they make it seem like because sid watched his mother died that's why he became the rainmaker isn't the rainmaker the one who's making who's who's created this rule that you have to send people back yeah and close all the loops the whole thing is just created that system but he's the one who's like sending all the older loopers back and he's like Mm -hmm. yeah because remember in the beginning yeah in the beginning they go this happened four times this week when it normally doesn't happen that much and so the rainmaker was the one who was sending ryan johnson i think is not bothered to really explain the time trail but he says oh it's (laughs) It depends, like, basically my perspective is it depends on what theory of time travel you're operating with. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Terminator is, like, a self-fulfilling time travel movie where, like, uh, I'm trying to not give spoilers, but it's, like, uh, one of the things is that they're trying to kill John Connor, but they can't find him because his mother has gone into hiding in the past, so they can't kill this child who is going to be, like, the hero of the Resistance. So they go back in time to kill his mother. Uh, the thing is, sending the Terminator back to kill Sarah Connor is what forces Sarah Connor into hiding. So it's kind of a self, mm-hmm. like, the time travel, like, the time, it's all one timeline, just the time travel kind of causes things. Yeah. Uh, this is sort of like that movie, but I think Brian Johnson has said that, like, oh, it's like there's splits in the timeline. And I've been trying to, like, mull that over. I don't know that, like, you can perfectly map out the time travel in this movie, but it's like, there are several times where things could split. So, like, I think the young Joe, before he meets old Joe, is the same young Joe in both old Joe's past and in the slightly older young joe's like in the present of the film it's just that at that moment like time like time splits you can have multiple split timelines that affect each other in different ways but it's hard because like uh, young joe i think because it's the same root joe for both joes in the movie when that joe kills himself it does kill that joe but then i'm confused i'm confusing myself now but that joe is already no because the more we talk about it He's you know, that's good. life, you know? So it's just that old Joe in that point in the timeline is not killing himself because he's past the point that the timeline splits. This is getting like very like... There's a lot of layers. That's kind of how they... I'm getting worked up. I feel like I'm the one putting the straws going, it, it, it all makes sense, it's all connected. That's kind of how they explain time travel in Endgame, isn't it? That once one branch branches off, it's a separate timeline. Yeah, but the, the one in Endgame is just... 
Uh, okay, you know what? The only movie that does time travel well is Back to the Future. <laughs> okay, that's the one. I don't like time travel on. movies. It makes me uncomfortable. It does. Why? I don't like the like fiction. Like, like, I I didn't like Disney movies growing up either. I feel like I just don't like like the villainy. The not that this is a time travel is villainy, mm-hmm. but how do I explain it? The fabricated <laughs> things that aren't realistic. Like oh. it just bugs me. It makes me really hold uncomfortable. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But The Bachelor, <laughs> you're okay with? <laughs> it's called the reality TV. Excuse oh, me. Yeah. I need like scary the movies that aren't realistic. Like, come on. So are you just like not as much of a fan of like science fiction and like fantasy films? I mean, My like Marvel like movies the, are cool, yeah. but otherwise, not really. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I feel like you just don't have the patience for them yeah uh Good did word. you enjoy this movie though yeah i think i did i yeah. mean it was kind of confusing but like whatever but like if <laughs> you were like ignore the time travel you could like focus on the like, like the, the yeah i like that there was character it was character driven character driven like there was more focus on characters yeah I like thinking about this time travel, this problem, this question that I keep bringing up versus time travel and Endgame and other movies like that. I think this one is complex and it's left to be complex for a reason. It's messy. You know? I think a lot of yeah. Ryan Johnson films are like messy in really interesting ways. Like I think a lot is of the criticism of done? The Last Jedi is because it is a very messy movie. Oh, um, thank you so much for bringing that up. I Continue. still like The Last Jedi though. Ryan Johnson has like a complicated... He's obviously a great director, and I feel like 10 years from now, we will for sure be talking about his movies, and he'll definitely become, like, a very real household name. He's already kind of becoming that. But The Last Jedi is just a movie people will hate it. I don't remember much of The the, um, the Last Jedi. I yeah. like the last one that came out a lot. I liked it a lot. You liked Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> I did. I, well, okay, because I, I, love the rom- I love the romantic element between... Um, <laughs> Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley at the end where there's that moment where he kisses her and he has this little smirk on his face and then she dies and I'm like Chad's gonna kill her. I I thought that was really icky. I love it. I think it's like really I I think it's really like off-putting when a movie is really trying to force an abuser and like the person has been abused together because that's what this relationship is. Kylo Ren's like killed a lot of people, has hurt Rey a lot and Mm -hmm. he's like, in the end he's redeemed or whatever, but I just don't buy it. Adam Driver's such a good actor, like I get why you enjoyed that scene. I I feel like him and like a lot of other people in the sequel trilogy are really underutilized, but yeah, I just don't like The Last Jedi. Yeah, I didn't like it. I remember leaving feeling disappointed, but I don't remember the specifics of the movie and I like never went back to watch it. Yeah. The scene with Leia, this I remember, this I remember complaining about explicitly. Leia, like, in the force. In the last like, Jedi. Yeah, it just, it, like it, looks, it yeah. looked so cheesy. It wasn't well done. As someone who is admittedly not a major Star Wars fan, all three of those movies seem the same to me. I think the first one, The Force Awakens, is probably the best one. But I think everyone would agree on that, but... Uh, I, I think The Last Jedi is the best one, but I agree The Force Awakens is, like, the most universally oh. like because it is such a, like, tidy movie. It's really, really mm-hmm. safe. I know you I, haven't seen any of them. Tell us your yeah, as, yeah, I haven't seen any of them. Layla, I have a question for you. What? Is Adam Driver hot? Can you, you look him up? Driver? Can you look up a picture? Hold up. Tell me if folks, Adam Driver's folks, hot. Folks, we're Googling. <laughs> really quickly, Sada, I think for someone, she doesn't like, Sada doesn't really care for Star Wars. I think you'll like The Mandalorian oh, God, no. a lot, though. I keep meaning to, to start that. it. I'm like going to start yeah. it. I have to start it. He's yeah, he's not bad. Now look up Oscar I, I think Isaac. He's hot. Look up Oscar Isaac. Oh, Oscar Isaac, come on. Oscar no, Isaac's I think like he's my a, man he's crush. He's, 
Just look up Oscar. He's also one of Jonah's major loves. So well, every time I watch the new Star Wars trilogy, I thirst hard for him. I thirst for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, I wanted to ask you, Jana, specifically. So when you were in high school, you were a big Joseph Gordon-Levitt person. Do you still find Joe hot? Are you still a Joe stan? So I mean, in this movie, he looked like a Sim character. He was hiding <laughs> behind prosthetics. Jana, if this cool. man came up to you in person, you'd be like, like, come on. No, I mean, I would. The, 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 the Pikachu face that goes around yeah. everywhere. That's what Jana would do. Yeah, there you go. Oh. Okay, as our uh, producer, I think we need to move on. We do, we do. Yeah. We were all, we uh, all look MVP. Cutthroat Layla, that's right. We like it. All right, my, my MVPs. It's so funny that I keep saying Sarah, even though her name is spelled the same way as you, Sada, and I haven't called uh-huh. her Sada once. So they are different Sarah, names. People need to like different. learn how to pronounce Sada's name. It's a different yeah. name. For me personally, I respond to both the same. I really, I like Sarah just as much as I like Sarah. I mean, it's so what I you have to do as like someone with like a, I guess, culturally different name is you just have to accept sometimes people are gonna call you. You know what, I've never felt the that way. The pronunciation never, is different for her. The pronunciation is different, yeah. but I've never felt like a, like any certain way about someone saying Sarah versus Sarah. I say Sarah. Know? Yeah, honestly, I think about it a lot as someone whose name is spelled Jed and it's called Jed by like, most people I know. Yeah. But Jed is like, I don't know, that's like the name my mother calls me. I don't know. I, yeah. I feel you. I do. I never thought of them as different names. When I like say like Sada or Sarah, I just go, oh, I'm saying it with the Arabic pronunciation, the Arabic yeah. accent. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I think it's I like, it. a, they're two name. they're like two aspects for me. Like Jed and Jed are the same person, but mm-hmm. in different, very different contexts. And it's almost like code switching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's almost yeah. like code switching when like I'm in a setting where I'm with people who call me Jed mm-hmm. versus when I'm with people who call me Jed. Mm-hmm. Then I have really three personalities. <laughs> <laughs> I go by Layla. I only go by Layla. You know, Layla doesn't have this problem. Her friends call her, it's like the same for everyone. That's why her name is so good. Yeah, thank you. Reem is the same. Tried like hard. Reem is yeah. Reem's yeah. Jad's sister, one of our beloved cousins, who makes our beautiful intro and exit music. Uh, music. Her name is yeah, always on our descriptions. The name thing is interesting, but all right, yeah. MVP. Okay, so I have Sarah on there, and I have Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Young Joe, but only because mm. he killed himself. Otherwise, I think he would have just been like neither an MVP or LVP for me. Those are my MVPs. And then my LVPs are Old Joe, Bruce Willis, and The Demon Child. (laughs) (laughs) But Jad, I don't look at this critically. They just, I didn't, they made me sad and they scared me, so. Jad, do you want to go with this? Yeah, so I have a couple MVPs. Uh, Emily Blunt, just in this movie, I think is great. I like Paul Dano, who makes a very Mm. brief appearance in this movie as Seth. He absolutely kills it. Like, that's such an emotional scene when he comes to yeah. young joe pleading like please yeah. save me they're gonna kill me i forgot he was in that movie he was in this he, movie. Uh, yeah, i mean now he's, he's become more known i think um, so it was interesting to see him yeah, yeah. uh obviously i like when garrett dillahunt i'm just trying to give some love to some of the minor characters here i love mm-hmm. when garrett dillahunt was in this movie uh also noah segan who plays kid blue i thought just does such a good job and noah segan yeah. has collaborated with ryan johnson in the past then my LVPs were not Noah Segan, but Kid Blue. I fucking love Kid <laughs> Blue. He's such like a tragic like fuck up. He's like so oh funny gosh. whenever he's on screen. He thinks he's so cool twirling his gun. Yeah. And he's like gets bonked in the face or he falls over. He's like always fucking up. It's just hilarious. Yeah. I oh, have more sorry. LVPs, sorry. Yeah, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face, LVP. <laughs> oh, you're right. The prosthetics don't one. bother me as much as most people, but I do think it really like limits his acting. And mm. uh, it's unfortunate. 
Well, it's his acting to begin with. I mean, because he spent so much of his time in this movie, like I really feel like he is trying to give off a Bruce Willis vibe. He spent, yeah. I feel like, so much time concentrating that, on like, being smirk. a young Bruce Willis. Very Bruce Willis. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, his acting in general, I can't decide if it's brilliant to do that or if it's just a little bit played out. You I, know? Think, I think he's a good actor. He's uh, a good actor. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. My MVP. So to start, Emily Blunt, our queen, we're all yes. in agreement. Young Joe, I think he makes the selfless choice even, you know, he, he, he has character growth. You can see that he becomes a better mm-hmm. person. And I also like Emily Blunt a lot because her character arc is separate from Joe's. You, you really liked her like so much, you mentioned her twice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then my last oh, MVP... first on this episode, on this yeah. series, on this podcast, yeah. We've mentioned Emily Blunt so much in this episode. Yeah. I know. Love we really her. love you, Emily. Come, come on the show. <laughs> Be on the show, yeah. I take back what I said. <laughs> yeah. And then my last MVP is Jeff Daniels, the actor who plays Abe, the scary guy. I put Jeff Daniels because I feel like he's an underrated actor in, you know, our underrated movie. And I know, Jad, you said he's... I guess, which I didn't know, maybe slightly problematic on set, but he, it's always nice to see him show up and he always has so much ease, but he doesn't get as much credit as he's, like, so, I feel like he's one of the more natural actors on screen. The Jeff Daniels, like, character that Jeff Daniels always plays is always, like, the person who thinks they're the smartest person in the room. I think oh, Jeff yeah. Daniels kind of <laughs> believes that about himself. And who's scared right before they die. He plays, yeah. he's that kind of villain. Can we, can we talk about how Abe is, like, this presence in the movie and then just they kill him off? It's so funny to me. Yeah, because well, he's well, not the real my, villain. No, it's the like character. a misdirection. Yeah, I like that about this movie. The character Abe is my LVP. I would agree with that because he's mean. Yeah, because yeah. he's Sarah mean. and I agree on MVPs and LVPs. Thank you, Dana. Yeah, Shh. You, you talk, I listen. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. Amazing. All right, so let's move on to the Bechdel test. I think we're in agreement. This movie failed. Takes a big L. Very much. Yeah. yeah. Very much. Yeah. But can I make my, I just found something interesting about this, the women in this movie in general. We essentially get three female characters, right? We have Sarah, who we've already mentioned a lot. Susie, mm-hmm. who plays kind of the sex worker we originally mm-hmm. talked about. And old Joe's wife, who isn't given a name. Summer. Oh, I thought she Oh, was, that's so beautiful. Oh, Summer. Yeah. Oh. I find. No, hold on. Are you sorry. Okay, uh, yeah, no, that's Summer. Her name is Summer. I okay. just feel like there's I like think. a lot of like meaning yeah. behind that name as to who Joe is. You know what I mean? It's very yeah. obvious. Like the- But I'm curious if you guys think Ryan Johnson is trying to say something with this. These three characters are connected and they all relate around the idea of motherhood. Susie is someone who probably has a job that's looked negatively upon society, but she still wants to care for her child as much as she can. And old Joe's wife, the one thing we really learn about her is how nurturing she is and how she was really desperate to be a mom, you know? Yeah. So do you um, think there's Brian that Johnson? scene with Young Joe where Susie is sent to, I guess, care for him after he's given up Seth. Mm-hmm. And Young Joe is not interested in having sex. He's just, he just talks about how, like, he can't remember his mother, but he remembers she used to play with his hair. And he just wants, yeah. like, someone to, like, hold him and play with his hair. And oh, the, yeah, the he- last thing we get in this movie is, you know, Emily Blunt's character, like, touching his hair. No, that's so interesting. I mean, do you think Johnson's trying to say something by kind of relating all these women around this one idea? I don't know how intentional it is, because I think you can make the argument that the movie's trying to say without a mother's love, you could be a really like, oh, who knows what could happen to you? And I mm-hmm. think that's a really dangerous reading, because there are plenty of people who don't grow up with mothers and they turn out yeah. fine. Uh, I think the movie is trying to say without love in your life, just generally from anyone, mm-hmm. you know, you could uh, go down like a dark path possibly. 
Yeah, um, I guess what's more pure than like a mother's love? Well, because it's the most pure form, right? The most unconditional. It's the one that you mm-hmm. kind of get without having to like chase. Yeah. In most cases, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe just a parent's love in general. You know. Do you feel like your dad's love is conditional? No, and your mom's no, conditional? Absolutely not. Yeah. Not our parents. Mm-hmm. Not your parents. Not what my about parents. you, Jad? <laughs> uh, are we being no, my parents are both right now? Very loving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Your but I think that's a thing that women in movies and in storytelling are often stuck with is they're the moms and mm-hmm. the moms are there to stand with their children and love their children no matter what and dads you know can love their children can be kind of distant it doesn't really matter dads are there yeah. to do things and be dads I don't know but moms moms have to be protected and they love you and they hold you even when you explode a man it's mm-hmm. like are you are you a cat dad or a cat mom <laughs> I have not thought about it. I think of myself just as a caretaker who really loves his cat and you need to pick a talks side. to his cat like his cat's a baby, but I don't think of myself as like my cat's parent. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation. I will say for Ryan Johnson, like if you look at Knives Out, you know, again, his most recent one, he has multiple female characters. It's a pretty diverse cast as well. And they, the female characters all have interactions with each other. Yeah, he gets a lot better about this. He does. Mm. He makes improvements. So he's someone who I think we can say is going to be making the right decisions going forward. But. I hope so. I feel like it, it might be a rule of committee. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I remember trying to think in this movie if like any women talk to each other and I, I couldn't think of any instances. Like there might be a scene where uh, Susie talks to another sex worker in the background, but those mm-hmm. she's not a named character and that's like not a real like conversation. Yeah, because, exactly. You know, no, like, exactly. Which, sure. I, which I think is like, the Bechdel test is interesting because it is a litmus test that so many movies fail. And it's like the bare minimum. Like mm-hmm. you can have two women talk one time and then it, the movie passes the Bechdel test and that movie can still be awful about exactly. women and gender. But it's like the bare minimum that like a lot of movies just don't pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we've only had two that have done it so far and we're on, this is movie number seven. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, this movie's well. just like kind of weird gender politics when you like really have to think about it. What do we think about the white people? Do we feel that there are too many white people in this Hell movie? yes. Far too many. It's Far crazy. Too many. Yeah. Like, like I said earlier on, like I, there are a couple people of color. I think one of the loopers is, an, is played by an Asian actor mm-hmm. uh, or of some kind. And there are like a lot of black extras. I think there's one black man who has a line. He's like a gap man. And then Beatrix, the waitress, is, is played by a black actress. Oh, but that's right. I feel like a lot of this is not like on purpose. I think a lot of this is just because they were filming in Louisiana and they were casting for extras. And, you know, they did not purposely, I think, in creating this movie, try and like put people of color in it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the most major character of color is probably Old Joe's wife. In the Brothers Bloom, that character is much more prominent in the movie. And it's kind of like this quirky Asian side character who does say a couple words towards the end. It's like, she says mm-hmm. like, oh, fuck. Like, it's really unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just weird that Brian Johnson has another character just like that in this movie. An Asian woman who doesn't talk. Which, I mean, is, is partially just because of the role she has to play. She has a very small role in, like, a montage that is completely silent. But yeah. it, it's just so weird that that happened again. I don't know. I was going to say... Um, part of the romance of this of that montage like part of the romance of this movie a lot of it comes from old joe's relationship with his wife and i like that it's silent and that you're supposed to see how they feel yeah like it is a really effective scene yeah but and like the actress know. that plays uh summer like she is a phenomenal actress who does a lot just without any words mm. you know she flips them off she flips them off so it's great so cool 
That's probably one of the most memorable scenes. Apparently, that's like the classiest um, like flip off I've ever seen. Do you remember <laughs> when Young Joe and his friends are like going clubbing and they almost run over that like homeless kid? Yes. yes, yeah. Apparently that kid, Ryan Johnson, wanted the kid to flip off Young Joe. Oh. And this kid who was so young, he didn't know what that meant. So Aww. Ryan Johnson like show him how to flip off someone and had to like hold his <laughs> hand in that position, like out of out of frame. Yeah. Uh, and they ended up cutting it, which I think Aww. was the right choice. But it was just but that would have been a cute tie-in. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. when you connect one flip off to the other, just like the bird. It's beautiful. Beautiful, exactly. beautiful moment. Jenna, do you have any more thoughts about this before we move on? No, I think let's get to our general, you know, final thoughts and then trivia and reception. Okay. Let's do trivia and reception before final thoughts. We'll just close with that. Oh, right. Okay. I'm going to start with kind of the critical reception. So Rotten Tomatoes, critical, the critic consensus was... As thought-provoking as it is thrilling, Looper delivers an uncommonly smart, bravely original blend of futuristic sci-fi and good old-fashioned action. 93% critic score, 82% audience score. Wow, Some that's of the difference. Yeah. The, the positive review that I liked a lot, it's by Christopher Orr of The Atlantic. And in it, he says that this is a mind-bending ride that is not afraid to slow down now and again to explore themes of regret and redemption, solitude and sacrifice, love and loss. It's a movie worth seeing and perhaps going back to see again. Which I feel like summarizes a lot of what we've said about this movie. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Negative reviews, I didn't really write them down, but some notable things, like we said, some reviews said it didn't have depth. One said it meanders a lot. So, I, yeah, I don't mind meandering movies. There's probably meandering like at least 10 purpose. minutes of this you can cut. Yeah. What would you cut out? I, I feel like there's probably some of Joe's clubbing, or some, just maybe some of the stuff early yeah, on. I would make the scene with older Seth like probably a little shorter. Hmm. Oh, such yeah. a cool scene, though. Yeah, and I, I don't think it, like I think it needs to be that long to show you kind of the the risk involved here, and kind of how violent and excruciating that experience is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, does this? Do you guys agree with kind of? I guess I mean ninety three percent. I think is a pretty fair. Number. I think this is a good movie. I think people yeah. who don't like it are nitpicky. That's my perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a particular taste, I think. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe to get you into the theater to see it, and then it becomes more of like a story about love and things like that once you watch it. Yeah, y'all need to watch Brick, Ryan Johnson's first film. That is a movie that is like so stylistic that I think it's like a little off-putting for some people. I'm just very curious (laughs) what you would think about it. This was a much like a much younger Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like like a Mm -hmm. teenager. Oh, so Joseph Gordon-Levitt has been in a movie, has done a movie with him before. Yeah, this is like their first mm-hmm. collaboration. The, the Brick was made uh, in kind of the period of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's career where he had stopped Third doing Rock Third from Rock the from the Sun. He was trying to like do other movies show. like so people would take him a bit more seriously and Brick was like yeah. a really small indie film. Okay. Uh, yeah. Trivia? I only have yeah, a couple yeah. for you guys today, not not much. Because we've actually talked, I feel like, a lot about this movie, which is good. First one is that Ryan Johnson wrote this role specifically for Joseph Gordon-Levitt, even going as oh, far wow. to name the character Joe. Joe, yeah. Uh, largely due to the fact that they worked together before on Brick. So I know we like this question of recasting, who would we put? Would yeah. you guys put anyone else in Joe's plays? I was thinking about like how Ooh. we've talked about the bad prosthetics so much, right? But would we have wanted to see like a CGI version of like Bruce Willis like as his That was a conversation they had. Also, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, when they were working on the script, was really adamant that he wanted to play both young and old Joe. Really? (laughs) Yeah. 
Wow. And then they got Bruce Willis and, you know, he was like, no, we have to have Bruce Willis. I think it's an interesting element that it is these two very different high profile actors. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'm still intrigued to see, I think I'm more, yeah, I'm intrigued to see JGL play his young self and his older self rather than the inverse of Bruce Willis playing his younger self. Have you, this is also a bit of trivia. So this movie was being developed at the same, like the script was being developed at the same time that Gemini Man was being developed. Mm. And Ryan Johnson was really worried that Gemini Man would be released first, which is not a movie about time travel, but it's also a movie about a young uh, old. protagonist mm. facing an old version of himself, which is interesting. But that movie has Will Smith, and apparently is like awful. But, you know, yeah. See, I don't. I was that. gonna say I I don't like the idea of the CGI, and I actually want to see a version of this, which which Gemini uses a lot of, obviously, because it's Will Smith playing his young and old self. I want to see a version of this movie that doesn't have prosthetics. Like, if you guys had to choose a pair of a younger, older actor who maybe have similar, who kind of look a little bit similar, have a similar vibe, what pair would you put? Oh, like a pair? Yeah. I feel like I talk about him a bit. I'm a fan. I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal could have been the good, a good young Joe. I would have been interested to see that, but I don't know who I would make the older Joe. He does this in True Detective playing an older version of himself, but I would have loved to see Mahershala Ali and like oh. Oh, maybe Denzel or something. Like oh, that would have been or so good. Denzel's son, John David Washington <gasps> and Denzel. Oh, that would have been good. That would have been yeah. awesome. Wow, can really you imagine in the press? like the Yeah, like actual, like and... a real father and like yeah. child, you know? Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. They both are amazing actors. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. There, there's a lot of ways oh, this movie could have been so done. so attractive. Leila just looked up Mahershala Ali and she's, she's really you know what? too. Robert, I, I got it for you. Robert, uh, Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. Because everyone, oh, you know, cool. pairs them together. They have to be know, they, I, they I did that movie about That's a good pair. Lebanon, I just I don't know that I would buy the performances as much. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. He does look they, a little bit like Brad Pitt when he was younger. Brad Pitt is not as nuanced as an actor. Yeah. You don't think so I, after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I didn't watch that. I should you have though. to watch Jet, it. You, you have to watch it. Law school. I don't have time to watch movies. I watched all Jet, the movies for the year so this you week because I don't have class right now. Like I'm I hit my movie quota. Movie quota. Like, stop I'm playing Animal Crossing and this. watch that. Don't play Animal Crossing. Stop playing Animal Crossing. I'm reading my administrative law book. It's like not fun. Okay. Just oh, try being in my shoes. I mean, I'm 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 a week away from being done, and I'm done. I am burnt out. Thank you. All right, well, okay, I'll continue with trivia. I think I only have two more. The The second is that, so Sarah, at some point, she uses a futuristic crop duster that essentially makes rain on her field, and her son ends up becoming the rainmaker. So just a little connection. Oh, my God. Huh. Okay. I don't yeah. like that. I don't like that. I don't know if that's intentional. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. That creeps me um, out. And then it the kind last of seems one. like a fan theory a little bit, which I reminds know, right? me of another popular fan theory about this movie, which is that Kid Blue is the younger version of Ape. Oh, oh my that. god, stop, that's, that's another creepy took, thing. The kid blues a fuck up, but Abe took him in because this is like the younger version of himself. Or but there's like some connection where it's like, they both have like, like kid blue gets shot in the leg or something and Abe is a, something random that's like that. That's right, because like, Abe's the only like, guy who's been sent back screen. from the future. We have to remember yeah. that. He's and who wasn't killed. This Very is just a fan I don't buy it personally. I buy it. No. Oh, I buy it. I buy it. I was I was reading last night, like reading up, preparing for this episode, and I it was maybe eight thirty nine. I was like, should I be reading this like at night before I go to bed? <laughs> should I be reading about this? It's creepy. This is creepy. It's a little bit creepy. 
Um, all right. So my last fact for you guys is that you know how young Joe wants to go to Paris. So Ryan mm-hmm. Johnson actually wanted to go to Paris, but it was too expensive to film there. So later in kind of filming, they decided to go to China. Yeah, so, this movie I think, was, was co-produced by like a Chinese company that offered to like mm. pay for them to go to China. Mm. Wow. Yeah. 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 But overall, that, that is fan it. theory so, is crazy. I know, so that, right? It's really I, it's just, like, I fan theory. It. You can go down a whole rabbit hole reading fan theories. I guess before we end, I know we like to do kind of the highlight of the week for all of us, but yeah. Any final thoughts about this movie? <laughs> God, it's, how good it was. It's good. Yeah. 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 It's really good. It's like a really original movie. Gain awesome. respect. It yeah. is very original. Ryan Johnson is definitely someone to watch. I can't wait to see what else he does. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully yeah. he gets to make more Star Wars movies. Then maybe uh-huh. Star Wars good again. <laughs> I want to mention it's... real quick, I think it's so funny, like the cars of the future of this movie are just like they took regular cars, made them look run down, and like taped some like extra pipes and like solar panels to them. I just think it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's probably, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Can't argue with that. I mean, 2044, when we were watching this in 2012, 2044 seemed far away. I mean, 2020, like, yeah, we still have 24 more years, but I don't know. It's weird to watch these movies set in the future as the future gets yeah. closer and closer. There were fan theories about Back to the Future, right? Didn't they get something right? fan theories about everything. There is, yeah. The Simpsons yeah. has, like, the... Oh where God! All the future, where right? they predict so many different things. Mm-hmm. Okay, before we actually do end, I know this episode is running a little bit long, but Jad, I wanted to hear your perspective on things happening in Lebanon. I feel like we we've texted about it, but we haven't spoken on the phone since it happened. I mean, I don't know how much there is to say. Lebanon needs help right now. It's a re- it was a really tenuous situation before uh, the blast, and it's gotten even worse you know they're currently investigating the blast but like that nitrate was in a warehouse for six years and the government was aware about it mm-hmm. this is just like another example of the lebanese government's incompetence and negligence and disregard for the lebanese people and it's just yeah. like it's just sad i don't know I, I have yeah i just remember seeing that and being like really heartbroken how are you feeling about it jana now that we're a couple weeks out i mean the same yeah it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. i just hope we keep talking about i mean i hope we keep talking about all these things that we're trying to change i know there's just it's so scary i mean especially (laughs) i think in the states for us since it's an election year i don't want to reach november and then like forget everything you know there's just so many things that need work both domestically and internationally and a lot to pay attention to i think it's also telling like this might be you can edit this out if it's too political but like (laughs) The relationship between the U.S. and the Middle East is just like, I just wish that people cared more about stuff going on in the Middle East. You could argue that about South America. You could argue that about India. You know, I mean, there's China that's going on in the concentration camps that are literally, there are literal concentration camps for Muslims in China. Yeah. But why why isn't there like a committee who can fix the world? Like, you know what I mean? Because the the U.S. Well, I mean, I, you have the UN, but the UN is like really ineffectual because there are like countries of veto power in the UN who will shut down. Yeah. It's not in their interest. 
I mean, I think, Leila, you also have to remember that with the Middle East specifically, you're not just, Lebanon is not an isolated country. Every country ha has connections to other countries yeah. and it creates this huge complicated web, web of a relationship. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. even in Lebanon, there are countries with like their fingers in Lebanon. Yeah. yeah. Are kind of pulling Everyone's got their hands in the pot. Yeah. yeah. It's just unfortunate. This year is just really unfortunate. It's an unfortunate year. It's an unfortunate year. <laughs> Highlights of the week. Jad, why don't you go first? I just happen to have a week off. Yeah. I spent it with my cat, got to play video yeah. games and watch movies. It was really nice. Sounds Yay. good. Did, Did you cook anything? You like to cook? I didn't cook a lot. Nothing's really coming to mind. I went to Cleveland to visit my parents like mm. oh, nice. last weekend, and my mom gave me a bunch of food. So I've just been like living off Aww. leftovers. It's been great. Yeah. Mm. Uh, eating lots of like homemade flatbread with like butter and jam and tea. It's, it's been nice. Yeah. Oh, sounds like such a great sounds week. Sounds so good. Yeah, the second half has been a bit more stressful than preparing for classes. But I know. Yeah. For you, uh, we're so, you're going to be the smartest lawyer in the family. We're all growing up. Yeah. All right, S, <laughs> what about you? Highlight of the week. All right, I mean, talk about getting political. I have oh. to say, there were a couple moments in the DNC. I mean, Jad, I know how you feel. Listen, listen. I didn't watch we're, it. I was like, I can't do this to myself. <laughs> All right, I have a lot. I actually have a few thoughts on this. Okay, the DNC, I have to say, again, it's been an emotional week, but there are a few moments that like just made me feel more hopeful than I have been lately, made me feel like maybe Joe Biden isn't someone that we have to settle for. He's problematic, but there's no politician who isn't really problematic. But I guess what I'm trying to say is prior to this week, I was just really like, I don't even care about this election. I'm going to vote no matter what. But like, I'm tired of all these politicians. I don't want to hear any of them talk. But like, Obama's speech was really impactful. I think Michelle Joe Gates' speech, Michelle Obama, Bernie Sanders, like, I feel like despite the many, many, many problems of the Democratic Party, there are some people who want to do the right thing. So I don't it was know. Nice that was nice to just see my... coherent people with maybe, yes. yeah. who maybe have hearts up there. Yeah. And I should say, yeah. like, I've said this before, it's not that Trump's a Republican. It's not that Biden's a Democrat. Like, it's not a party thing for me, but it's just nice to feel like, like, I feel like Bernie Sanders is someone who tries to do the right thing if he can. I feel like Joe Biden is a good guy at the end of the day. I don't know. I mean, people need to, the, I think, uh, examine their nostalgia about the Obama years. Oh, for sure. My mom says this all the time. She, we, we just, Obama, when you think of Obama, you miss that presidential person. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, the DNC had four years to overhaul the Democratic Party and put forward candidates who don't have problematic records. But this is where we're at. And I at least can, I can feel rest assured that I'm voting with someone who is just fundamentally more moral than the person who's currently in the White House. And I didn't really feel that and way the people before people in the White, White House, yeah. yeah. But what about you, Jenna? Yeah, I feel like mine didn't really happen until yesterday. I officially started working on a design project at work, so that was exciting. That was well, exciting. I pushed out like a development uh, project I've been working out on for a few weeks, so. Yes, Knock on wood. It, the work is going course. well. <laughs> Jad's going to be the lawyer of the family. Jenna's going to become the designer, software. Here's developer the thing with lawyers, family. though, is everyone's going to ask me questions I have no knowledge about. They're going to be like, listen, yeah. I have, like, I was that's in this accident. Mom I'm like, I, I do immigration work. I don't know anything about yeah. that's how my That's how it is for my mom, too. And, like, oh, your mom? My, well, whatever. <laughs> it's. This is kind of random. My aunt, excuse me. 
She was Jad's aunt before she was your mom. Yeah. That's a good point. They don't uh, my highlight of the, week. of the week. I started senior year. Woohoo! That's right. Woo-hoo. But I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying Zoom. They're planning on sending us back in two weeks, though. <gasps> no. no way. I'm all online yeah. this semester. Like, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. They're planning on sending us back in two weeks. So that I means mean, we do they want to be back on, in, like, lockdown? Like, and put you, you need to, like, read the room and see what, like, schools that have opened up, yeah. like, what's Mom going on is- there. Yeah. Your teachers Mom, are against this, though, aren't they? Teachers are all against it. I'm sure a lot of teachers would rather, like, you know, preference the safety of their students and other people, you know? You have to, like, but I don't... Well, but I don't think that it's concerning because they're going to do 50-50. For me, it's like going into the class and wearing a mask and sitting in my own little corner isn't concerning. It's like seeing the kids in the hallways who like don't even believe that the virus exists. Like, I, you can't it. just you can't just go into the classroom. Like you have to see these people who are going to run up to you and give you hugs, and it's just like don't follow protocol. Who like yeah, like, it's all a hoax. And also, like high school kids are still going to be high school kids. Yeah. Exactly. Once you once you open the doors and everyone comes back, it's like all the protocols you have in place are going to go out the window. That's yeah, just I don't know if I'm, my friend and I were talking about this, I don't know if I'm going to go back. Because they need to give 100% online as an option. Is there, so. yeah, is there an option for you oh. to like do everything remotely? I, I had that they, option. I had only one class in person. Yeah. I decided to take that one remotely. Hmm. Yeah. They weren't going to give us the option. They were just going to have everyone do 50-50, but... I think my teachers are suspecting that they will because of, I mean, most of my friends are like, I cannot imagine going back to school right now. Smart yeah. friends. Well, yeah. They have to give people the option with like, you know, people at home who are at risk, like, uh, you know, people but, who are at risk at home, like you have to have the option. There's yeah. a dad, our dad is immunocompromised. Dad, your dad is immunocompromised, yeah. right? Like what? But especially think about like do? the, Move out? yeah, the Dana hallways, like the school that I'm at, like, I don't know if I'll feel comfortable. Kind of yeah. There's there's six hundred and five people in the senior class. So that means there would be three hundred and five in this th- tiny building. Three hundred people in one class if they do fifty percent of the whole school. That's what, twelve hundred? Yeah, basically yeah. if you take three hundred from each class, you're still having twelve hundred people on campus. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Anyways, love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I have a suggestion. Because this is Layla's senior year, you guys have to do a block on like cheesy 80s or not even 80s, cheesy high school movies. You should do one for like every different, like a different, one per generation, you know. Yeah. Oh, the problem is there's too many movies. (laughs) That's really what it comes down to. We keep changing our plan. Yeah. 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 I mean, even next week, I can't decide what movie I want us to do next week. I feel like Jenna has been patient and she's like kind of okay with whatever I suggest, but. When people don't. ask me, like, are you really into movies? Is that why you're doing this? I was like, I like them. But honestly, like, my sister is the one who, like, wanted to do this. And I went along for the ride. <laughs> Here I, mean, I am. Didn't you start yeah. this podcast? It was an idea. And then yeah. one day saw it and just went, hey, I bought microphones. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. She kept making spreadsheets. But hey, I'm happy because I feel like there's a lot of shit going on in the world. I've gotten to this say is, my yeah, it's like pushing I've for been things, listening so every week. Good. And it's, like, just nice to listen to, like, two really like charming and funny people talk about movies oh, oh and well, now you're one of those charming well, you're one of them. <laughs> that's <laughs> true I think... i'm also like very cynical and I'm, like i'm a chaotic force in this making you guys go like an extra hour or whatever well jad thank you so much for joining thanks for like all of your dedication to this podcast and like for all of the preparation that you did 
I, I feel like this was a really great episode. I'm really excited for everyone to listen to this. Any final, any final words? Before we you know, I'm just you happy know. you invited me. I'm your biggest fan. I have Aww. posters of you on my wall. I listen to the Stop. podcast. You literally do. You do have a poster of me in your bedroom wall. No, not when anymore. We were my childhood bedroom, I did have like a, ta- a, ta- a tapestry, <laughs> yeah. basically, of us like at a birthday party. You know, I mean, two yeah. kids that everyone would throw together for a photo. And I don't know why. Because we're, we're so close in age. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And our mom, like, you know, they're our mom and our moms are really mom. close friends. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They're really close. And so I think the post of the tapestry that was on the wall, it was Jad's Find birthday. It. I think it's in a box somewhere. I need to like, well, yeah, keep yeah. that. It's the really nice thing photo. That they used, yeah, the thing they used to do at the mall was like take pictures of kids and print it on this tapestry. Remember and the happy mall? birthday. <laughs> Layla, do you remember the mall? <laughs> do you remember the kids go to the mall like? still? Yeah, Layla was always yeah. at the mall. They I go to the mall them. and they're like on TikTok, hey, look at this weird like building where everyone yeah. You know out. what kids do that are weird? They'll just go sit in plazas. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they, they sit in parking lots in their cars. Yeah. yeah. I did that. That's though. just called hanging out like away yeah. from your parents. Like that seems No, cool. but like when I was in high school, I remember it'd be like, Are you gonna go to the plaza? Like I swear, like you go and maybe you get food or you just kinda just sit. Oh and, yeah. I don't see how that's different from like going to the mall or anywhere else. You just like grab some food, you sit and you talk, like yeah, that's true. It's all an excuse to hang out with your friends. Like, also, just while I'm on the podcast, uh, you need to let Layla promote her TikTok. No, you need to support her interests and passions. No. Jad, let people know where they can find you. I'm gonna glaze over that. Um, <laughs> let the audience. I- I'm know. on Twitter at Bargain Ghost. I don't do a lot of tweeting, but that's where I am if you need to find me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Sounds good. We'll see you guys next week for our last underrated movie, which is to be determined. Yeah, we're still talking things over. Yeah. Cool. Peace out, Girl Scout. And check out Bargain Ghost on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs>